Hey, hey everyone, and welcome to Timeline Scavengers, the podcast specifically designed to last forever. I am James Anderson, one of your hosts. Grip it. And I'm Colin Parker, your other host, and I'm gripping it and ripping it, baby. Because on this (laughs) show, we're going through the MCU in historical order, scene by scene or day by day until the end of time. Excellent. Hey, but enough fucking around is what uh, I'm going to have to say right now because (laughs) we are on April 20th, 1946. April 20th being a number of things, but we're going to focus on it being the weed day and no one's birthday. Also kind of ripping it, you know what I'm saying? For sure. It's like a different different type of rip. Weed is the thing that we're talking about today. No, it's not. It's everything else. So this is going to be an episode where the plot synopsis is going to take longer time because I'm going to break it up by pertinent thing that happens over the course of this. I have my first note is 42046 is a long ass day. So this is Agent Carter season one, episode three. You're going to start at 420, <laughs> the drug thing. Right. And then you're going to go it? through uh, 3558. And here is the first thing. We blaze it and plays it. Blaze it, plays it, and amaze it. Because you hit play on the... Yeah. Because you hit play oh, on the... Oh, I got it. Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah. Blaze it and Yeah, it. I see it. Yes, that's good. Yes. Yeah, so, oh, yes. Jobus. Okay. So... Yes, Mr. Stark loves to blaze it. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking Bad featuring Jarvis. All right. So, um... All right. So, the first thing... Jarvis, we've got to cook. Yeah. And he's like, oh... Uh, oh, I've, I've got this <laughs> special royal blue kind. Um, Breaking Bed. My wife must never find out. <laughs> that's hey, that's the plot of Breaking Bed. Um, so, the, <laughs> the, uh, I don't think I'll sleep again. But not for the, not why you think. All right. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the first thing that happens at breakfast, Molly Bowen, whose boyfriend Jimmy, shimmied up the drain pipe and knocked mistakenly at Peggy's window the night before, gets kicked out of the Griffith. So. That's the first thing that happens. It's the it's the next morning. Uh, I will start with my fact um, because Ms. Uh, Fry starts with her fact, which is that, you know, in 1925, Harry Houdini performed here. The one trick he couldn't pull off was making it up to the second floor. No one goes up to the second floor. Molly Bowen, you're out. He, he didn't make it up the stairs. What's that? She specifically says he didn't make it up the stairs. And I, the only reason why I'm interjecting that is because it's going to become relevant later. Interesting. Okay. 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 Um, I did want to fact check her on if Harry Houdini was in New York in 1925. Uh, he was dead in 1926 from being punched in the stomach when he wasn't ready and it right. burst his organ. We all know that one. Uh, but in 1925, right. uh, in September... He was performing at uh, a theater in New York City, um, billed as the greatest necromancer of the age, perhaps of all times. Um, it also what? included in his routines where the water torture cell, do the dead come back, metamorphosis, the exchange of a human being in a locked, sealed, and corded trunk, among others. And then also, he the other thing Harry Houdini did besides like escapist stuff was... Uh, uh, What's it called when you um, debunk spiritualists? His show was half magic, like, ooh, look at me escape from this locked thing, and half you seances are bullshit. They're nothing. That's nothing. 
So he podcasted a little, but in front of people, like he, he like would dress up as an old man and attend seances and then basically like reveal them to be bullshit. It was his like other thing that no one really talks about, but like, because in the in the in the early part of the 20th century there was this big spiritualist movement where people were like yeah. you can talk to the dead seances and and all hey, this stuff we kind of mentioned yeah. that in Cloak and, not Cloak and Decker, uh Runaways. yeah exactly big spiritual exactly movement. right at the at the revival right um mm-hmm. Right, so he was not. I mean, that was slightly different, right. but it was still it was all spiritual. I mean, you know, like well. you can talk to the dead, you know, Jesus sort of stuff is. It's like, what if everyone was Jesus? What if God was one of us? Um, I think is what the just a stranger on yeah. the bus. Yeah, you know. uh, Ozzy Osbourne, one of our greatest singers. Um, that's a Joan Osbourne song. So the joke is that okay, so uh, okay. Harry Houdini <laughs> was in New York City in 1925. So you know what's fun about that though is that when you talked about all those facts, yeah. Guess what I didn't hear him doing? Getting up those stairs. So I think she was fucking right. I think you're right. Absolutely. Her point is that she is better than magic. It's what, basically it's her versus Dr. Strange in Dr. Strange 3. I think she's Mephisto. Yeah, exactly. You know? I mean, Ms. Fry? Miriam Fry? This could be, this could be, we might be on to something. Mir Frysto is what they call her. Um, That's, this may be one of the dumbest things I'll, I've said. No, no, no. You don't, don't have to cut it. Please. No, no, no. I'm, I am not it. putting that in my podcast. Wow. Wow. That's the line. You know that? Hold on. Let me just uh, drop a pin. <laughs> <laughs> no. You know you know that thing like in parenting where it's like, it's our kid until they've messed oh, up sure. and it's your kid. Yeah. Right? It's the same thing. It's like, it's our podcast. Until someone fucks it up, then it's my podcast. And then I get to say <laughs> what makes it or not. No. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, cool. Well, I respect you um, immensely most oh, no, of the I time. I respect you. It's always so, our show. Um, it is our um, show. Okay. Well, it's kind of hard to put the genie back in the bottle after Christina Aguilera has sung about it in 1999. <laughs> next thing that happens. We're still in 46, so it's okay. Right, exactly. Uh, next thing that happens. Meanwhile, at the SSR office, I put that meanwhile in there for you to, uh, because I know that you like a good meanwhile. Um Tom, I do like this. Yeah. It's you know. Can I be honest with you yeah. though? It's because they do that shit in comics absolutely, all the time. Absolutely. There's frequently like just a little yellow box that just says "Meanwhile yeah. dot dot dot," and then there's as if the the reader can't understand that there's a shift in scene. Like, I think it's be, I think it's always to dictate that it's happening at the same right. time. Well, meanwhile, versus sure. and later right, exactly. this happens. Yeah. You know, I think I think they only ever do that. I mean, obviously, but I mean, it's just more of like. Obviously, there's a shift, but I think it's only ever to tell you the timeline. Hmm. Oh, very good. Timeline justifiers, TJ. All right, so Thompson briefs Julian Krasminski on Lee Brannis, who has been autopsied. Lee Brannis' war record says that he died two years prior in Finau, which my autocorrect corrected to final. Um, <laughs> but Battle of Finau, uh, according to Thompson's Russian embassy contact, this is the first time we hear about Fanau, and so your nickname from last time, or the first episode, was Fanau something. Anyways. Yeah, I think it's because when we were talking about what happened yeah. in the scene, I think we accidentally put some moments from mm-hmm. this and that. Mm-hmm. So that was, I think, our mistake. 
Yeah, no, but, I think that was my mistake because you said what happens, and I and well, I told you what happened, and yeah. I told you this is. Something. I was, I was once again kind of like the thing I said earlier. Mm-hmm. I was just trying to take the thing. Yeah, I know, it. and then I just wish you wouldn't Our do show, that. It's horrible, you yeah. know, just like it's hard enough. I, I'm, I'm Peggy Carter now. All right, so um, mm. wearing my red hat. It's a black hat. No one can see it. It's black. No one can see it. Um, I'm basically Kevin Feige. Okay, so because uh, of black hat, then Krasminski briefs them on Demidoff and the magic typewriter. The lab rats think it's some kind of long-range transmitter. Dooley instructs Thompson to take Demidoff's picture to his contact at the embassy. Krasminski is sort of pettily jealous of that. Uh, Then Sousa pops his head in to say that the license plate that Krasminski found belongs to Howard Stark's car. He wonders if Stark would risk his freedom to destroy the the Roxxon factory, not the Roxxon family. To destroy the Roxxon factory, Dooley says that someone was driving the car and he wants to know who. So, uh, to start this one off with some facts, uh, hilariously love when they do this. He says that the war records say that they were both part of the Russian Rifle Division 478th um, Infantry. The uh, Russian Rifle Divisions went up to 477. So it is literally one more than they actually had, and I think that I love I love when they do that. That's smart, yeah. yeah. Um, like there's an actual one oh seventh, and right. so that was always weird to me. But like that, it's like you know, yeah. Anyways, um, and then Finau, Germany, uh, it actually exists, but it's under a different name. In reality, the Finau is a river in eastern Germany, and then the town near it, which Finau is based on, is called Hohenfinau which basically means Finau Heights, like H-O mit umlaut, H-E-N, Hohen Finau means like Finau Heights. Interesting. So. Because Hohen is also a region in the third generation of Pokemon. Oh, interesting. Let's discuss that. Interesting. It's also what Sarah does uh, when she's not at the Griffith. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's Angie popping popping in to go, and here's one more. Fuck you, Sarah. Like, she just has, Jesus she's not a misogynist. Christ. She just hates Sarah, just like for no reason. She just hates Sarah, yeah. <laughs> Sarah, Sarah did slight her like in third grade. Right, exactly. She's never... Like steal my crayon. All right. Um, yeah, so what do we think about this About this one? Like got some like uh, rivalries here. So I'm like to impress Principal Dooley kind of like school stuff going on. It's it's interesting. Yeah, I, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely, everyone's kind of wanting to be teacher's pet. Um, yeah. Which is interesting because Krasminski normally is kind of like okay with sort of like writing a desk and like kind of being lazy. Yeah. But I think that like, I think that that's the thing is that I think that's kind of a an image thing. Yeah. I think he wants to seem aloof and cool. Right. But like whenever there's actual, I don't want to use the word policing because that doesn't feel like the Investigation right word. Investigation investigating like sleuthing yeah. detective work like because like he is actually upset that someone else gets to take the passports sure. and run those and work on those when he's like i got those passports yeah i mean he physically actively did it. he's the one that cut open the cushion because he's like i know exactly yeah. where this guy's gonna hide him he pulls him out like he knows he him. like amateur so, hour like, like it, what a cool customer he was right yeah yeah and like he he knows it you're know, like and it, it's that thing of like He's actually pretty good at what he does. Yes. Right? I mean, it's the same thing as, like, look at how long people had all this evidence. I guess it's, like, less than 24 hours. But still, 
people had all that evidence from the Roxxon thing. Mm-hmm. And, like, he manages to be the one to pull the evidence because, like, again, part of that could be, like, lucky break. But I feel like finding that license plate didn't specifically need to be Krasminski. It could have honestly been any lab tech right. just going, whoa, what's this? And, like, another lab tech being like, whoa. Like, you know, like, just two nondescript characters not even having a line, just looking at each other. Right. And then, like, you know, Sousa or whoever's like, overlooking, going, what's that? What do you right. got? And then they bring it to him, yeah. right? The fact that it's Krasminski, I feel like, still feels like it's purposeful. Yeah. I feel like Krasminski is a difficult character, but, like, I think he is – I mean, like, he wouldn't be in the SSR if he Correct. was a yeah. shitty detective or agent right. or whatever. You exactly. Know? It's not the shitty um, scientific reserve. <laughs> I mean, like, I, th- I think of it like this, right? Like, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah. I don't, have you ever watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Oh, all of it, baby. As okay, it cool. Yeah, I mean, same. Yeah, yeah. But, like – you know, uh, Hitchcock and Scully, yeah. right? Like they are, uh, I think I just said the lo- wrong last name, but like, um, no, you didn't No, Okay. For a second, I thought I said Sully instead of Scully. Hitchcock and Scully. Anyway. Those are some intentional last names and I really appreciate that. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And the thing is like, they are actually kind of also good at their job. Oh, for sure. Really? Cause like they, they, they occasionally show you that, yeah. but like, they're also kind of like Krasminski. They're cool with like, now in their case, it's because they're older. They know they're retiring right. soon for sure. Yeah. You know, but they're just like, we don't normally go out in the field. Like in that regard, like we don't chase people down, right. but like, you know, we, we, we know our strengths and yeah. stuff like that, but like, that's kind of what he is where it's like, there's a little bit of that comedic relief from him. Yeah. But, like, when you're like, hey, we have an actual, like, sleuthing thing that needs to be done, they know how to turn it on exactly. and yeah. go. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, again, it's also this thing of there's also a little bit of a uh, – uh, what's the word for it? Like, you said a – not a race. A, 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 what would you call it? Like a – Competition or – Competition, right? It's also kind of a competition to see who can be a bigger dick yeah. too, right? Like, because Thompson – is also insufferable. Yeah, I've, he's insufferable in in a different but like a way. Golden boy, but like, insufferable sort of deal. He's for sure a golden boy, and like he thinks that he's, you know, hot shit. Yeah. And like the funny thing is that I think that he's kind of the opposite of Krasinski, right? Whereas I think Thompson is good. I don't think he's nearly as good as he likes people to believe, sure. or. Like, and we'll get more into that well, again I mean, later as well yeah. in many like, different ways. But like specifically when it comes to like detecting and stuff like that, like honestly, Sousa, I think is actually much better sure. than him. It's just that Sousa doesn't quite have the confidence, yeah, I think. Sure. Yep. Uh, and like the presence, yep. but like Thompson is a little bit more off flash, not as much substance, mm-hmm. but like he really wants to like, he really tries to like, you know, outdo it. Like, no, I should kind of like, I should be next in line. Like, it's weird because Dooley is not his dad, right. but it def he frequently gives the vibes of like, well, Papa's gonna give me the keys of the car later. Yeah, you know, like when when he's ready to retire, he's def like dad's definitely handing me the job. Yeah, I mean, because it's like the company stays in the family. Yeah, you know? Thompson like is definitely Peralta, like and then Sousa yeah. is for sure mm-hmm. Amy, the actual talented one, and then. But also, Peralta's likable. <laughs> I yeah, but would he be in real life? I don't know. Mm-hmm. It depends. Yeah. Anyways. Anyways. I mean, as always, I would never be a cop, so I wouldn't know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, um, 
Why did you become a cop? Exactly. Shut yeah, exactly. Like, pull me over. Ugh. Put you on my album. Oh, no, I'm, I was doing the alcohol. Tra- oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Sorry. Right. Took me yeah, a second. Took me a second. It. We're good. I'm always down for okay. grumpy teenage Matt Skiba. Um, I don't know that he was a teenager, but that song reads like a teenager wrote it. Anyways. All right. Next scene. Next scene. Um, next scene. Next scene. Carter visits the Jarvises at their house. And I said, well, Jarvis comes outside so that Anna doesn't meet Peggy um, to say that Miriam Fry had given her an idea. She needs to figure out how the thief got in and that will lead to who they are. Jarvis comments that she's not dressed for examining the vault. All of a sudden, Sousa and Thompson are knocking on the door. Peggy hides and Jarvis tries to be as evasive as possible in his answers. Thompson suggests that they take a drive back to the station and Jarvis, to preserve Peggy's hiding, agrees. They come to talk to him about the license plate. I didn't actually put that, but like they're, they're right. tracking down that lead. And Jar- there's one moment that I want to point out. I don't have any like facts or anything about this where Jarvis like looks at Peggy inside and I'm like, dude, chill. Stop that. Don't look directly at the thing like, like that you're trying to conceal. Like, it's like, Oh, I don't want to, um, uh, I think it was Sherlock was like, uh, in the movie, in the show Sherlock, there's like a thing where they like cause a distraction, and when the person looks, like where the person looks is where the safe is because they're worried about what's in the safe. So it's it's sort right. of like, dude, you got to keep eye contact on not looking because then Sousa is like, what what's he looking? What's what's he looking at there? So. Right. Well, you know what's also interesting to me yeah. about that part though is that. Uh, her purse is on the table directly behind him the yeah. entire conversation. Yeah. And like, if he were to move at all, they would be like, is someone over? Right. You know what I mean? But like, he, it's like, it is th- like, it's one of those things where if they looked past him yeah. for even a second, they would know that someone else was there. Jarvis, the ultimate ally, putting himself in front of a woman in danger of being found out. Um, I also, uh, that's a slightly facetious joke, but also not entirely. I also like to think that they wouldn't have they wouldn't have been like, "Hey, that's Peggy's purse," or vice versa. Oh, no, they wouldn't have been like. I don't like, think they would know it's Peggy, but I think they'd be like. I mean, if no one's here, yeah. like if if Stark's not here and stuff like that, like I see. clearly, you know, then it's like then someone else has to be because that's definitely not yours, right, right Jarvis? And then, or they'd make some sort of homophobic joke about it, and be like, hmm. Right. You know, when Stark's not around, you get to, you know, play or whatever. And he's like, what? No, no. It's do, just a. Do you think they think that he's concealing Stark? They do, right? I think yeah. so. Okay. I, I don't think it's that they think he's concealing him specifically there. No. But I think that they know that he. Sorry. I think they believe that he knows where right, he is. Right. Got it. Um, because, like, they, they have run ins with Jarvis yeah. multiple times. And, like, they never. I feel like they never really believe him. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it's... This... Mm, I think part of this comes down to there's also some kind of shoddy police work in some of this. Sure. Um, but it's also, it shows a flaw in the system that to some extent still does exist. Yeah. Um, but basically, like specifically with this bit, it's like, you know, they they have this hunch and they are not willing to really consider any other angle. Right. Like, right. He says that he doesn't know where Stark is. And instead of being like, okay, let's look for other angles, they are pretty much always like, he knows where he is. 
Right. You know what I mean? I think that they are under they underestimate both Howard and Jarvis. And like they're just lying. So let's assume they're lying. For sure. Um uh this scene also has the thing we were talking about before. I'm not sure if it made it because I'm not sure if it was in this episode, but where Jarvis is cleaning the dishes and Anna from off screen yells, you know, I'll get the dishes. Yes. And Jarvis is like, okay. And uh, I shrivel up into myself. Like my, my arms go back into my body because that would be, I'd be like, oh no, I'll just quickly do it. Don't even worry about it. You know what though? I think though that he is like you though. He is still kind of starting to. Yeah. And I think that he clearly was getting ready to be like, oh no, no, I insist. Right. But he yeah. looks out the window and sees Peggy and he goes, uh, I think I might actually take you up. Like, yeah, he's like, he kind of, he's picking he's like, the, uh, yeah. he's like, you know what though? That's perfect. Then, you know what? Great. Yes. Yes. You can do that. I will give up my, like, I think it's a little bit anxious for him because he's like, yeah. I should be doing this, but this is a perfect cover. Yes, I will. In fact, I'm going to go out to the garden. Thank you. And just sort of rushes out, you know? So he goes with them so that she, they won't be like, let's go inside. Um, because they're clearly not letting it go. So they take him down to the station, put him in the interrogation room that we are going to get very used to um, as the as the days go by. Um, so Peggy follows that they take him in there and Peggy follows you know at a dis- at a distance that makes sense. Uh, Krasminski, so this is what happens next. Krasminski is trying to get someone to cover his shift as Peggy casually walks into the office. She joins Sousa and Dooley in observing Thompson interviewing Jarvis. Jarvis continues to feign ignorance. Thompson shows him the pictures of Brannis and Demidov. Jarvis continues to feign ignorance. Then Thompson unleashes their secret weapon. Jarvis was charged with treason. Thompson implies that Stark made the charge go away in exchange for Jarvis becoming his butler. Thompson threatens Jarvis and Anna with deportation. This is Jarvis's trigger, and Dooley and Thompson begin to move in for the kill. Peggy acts fast. She gets a pile of files. A pile of files is the thing that I knew that I was going to be delighted by and am. Uh, for Dooley to mm-hmm. sign off and nabs the stolen car report off the desk. When Thompson, with the stolen car report, which they have said they haven't been able to get access to yet. Right. Um, I had to work out what she does here a, like a couple times. Like just now and then last night too. Right. Um, so when Thompson brings Dooley in for the final nail in the coffin. Peggy interrupts Thompson by saying that she mistakenly took the, the stolen car report, which they had claimed was lost in the system. Jarvis then knows that he's been saved and gets up to leave because they have the car report, so he's not lying about that. Um, right. Then Dooley chews her out in front of Thompson in his office that prayed, you know. I mean, really in front of everybody. Right, like, he's very loud, but because Thompson gets to be in the Thompson's office. Thompson's the yeah, only one the in the room, room right? But like everybody yeah. hears that. Exactly. Sure. And like he does the thing that we talked about a little bit where it's like, this guy is doing, he did an excellent job, like a fantastic job. And you messed it up for, like it's, you know, dad's mad at the sister for messing up the. Right. Yeah. And, you know, can I, can I. This, this is what I was talking about earlier when I said shoddy police work. Yeah. This is the kind of situation where, like, I understand that Peggy had a long game that she had to to run here, right? And so the issue is that she knew that this was going to be an issue. This was going to be a big problem. And it still stings. It still hurts. Like, she walks out of there with tears in her eyes because regardless of what you know you have to do, like, that's still hard to do. It's just, like, sit there yeah. and have someone yell in your face. That, that's, that's tough. Yeah. 
Um, and also it can be emotional to know that like you could also potentially fuck up some other things for yourself further down the line just to help out your friend. Right. And like, this is getting to be a lot, but like if that had been me in that room, I would have fucking yelled back so quickly to be like, no, what he did was not good work. What he did was lie to someone, uh, like a lot of policemen do surprise, surprise, but to like purposefully withhold this knowledge and then also to like go into someone's face and to like bring up something that's like that deeply troubling. You'd be like, and like, yes. Okay. I understand the concept of if someone's done treason before, right. What if they're doing it again? Right. I I'm not saying that, but I also think that there's like this thing of, again, they believe that they had their guy. So they were purposefully changing the evidence essentially, or moving around evidence so that they could blackmail a guy into a false confession. Because what they wanted was, was regardless of if he was telling the truth or not, they wanted him to say that he did it. Right? Like, that's what they were trying to hammer in a thing. Like, because that's what they did. They say, we're going to get you deported. Right. And so if he is backed into a corner and they say, you either tell us the the truth and and the truth, meaning the truth that we want to hear, or we deport you, right? Right. So I, I think that that's the thing is like that they have they have no they they haven't done enough detective work, but they want to do things quickly and stuff like that. Like I think that it's that thing of they get one angle, and they they hammer only that angle. Right. It's a confirmation bias and, for sure. Right. Um. I think that this happens often, and yet Ricky doesn't oh, know for why. Sure. We do. Um, yeah. But I, I do want to say that when it comes to, let's take, you know, let's take, you know, police work up to its platonic ideal. Let's take out, let's say, like, we're just talking about investigation. Free from bias, but you need the evidence. If someone knows how to play the system so that the evidence just isn't there and you know that they did it, but you suspect like there's, there's parts and this is where like Dexter happens and Batman happens and all this stuff where it's like Punisher, all this stuff where it's like, you know, the law didn't do it. What it's supposed to do. The law fails people. Right. Um, it's hard for me, and I think this is where 24 ran into trouble, where it's like, how do you get someone to tell you what you want to know that you think they can tell you? What's the difference between they're telling you what they think you want to hear and they're telling you the truth, or they're telling you the truth versus they're saying the thing that makes them look innocent? So they aren't. Like, this is why I couldn't be any number of investigative things, lawyer, judge, right. you know, detective, whatever, is because I'm like, how do you not, like, there's always like, well, either they're telling the truth or they're lying. And uh, I think that that's one of those things of like, you know, for example, like when you're a lawyer, you have to understand that like sometimes you have that moment where you're sitting down with someone and you have to be like, like, I need to know. Like, yeah. 
I like I need to know literally everything because I can't be blindsided by something because it happens so often in like law procedurals that you'll see where they think they have all the information and then yeah. they'll drop one you know crucial piece of evidence of like but there was a witness and of course the guy knew the whole time and then they kind of do that thing where they turn around and look at the person like and then they cut to like them being in a meeting being like you fucking held out on me and like this is like this could lose us the case like yeah. this is why i say you got to tell me everything right things like that like they need to know everything because like it's not so much that like and i get it sometimes our system is very broken and people get off scot-free for things right. that they've done but I also think that because of this same issue, we frequently incarcerate people who did not right. do things. Uh, I think it is. I think it is a pretty even, you know, give and take situation. And of course, um, you, we'd always rather. And this, I don't know how controversial this take is going to be. I would always rather uh, let a guilty person go free than put an innocent person in jail. Absolutely, yes. Here's here's my thing, though. I think that very. F- it's not common that someone who's done a horrific crime uh, then just decides to just go. Yeah. That was a one and done. done. Yeah. Right. I think the only exception would be if they do something terrible and then get away with it. And that, cause then they, then they know they're under public view for the rest of their life. Right. Like there's for sure people watching OJ Simpson now at this point. Like, right. I, I like, I you can't tell me that he's not. You know what I mean? Like, and I, actually, I'll tell you this. I I don't know if this is if this was ever a thing or not. Uh, I need to. I should look it up. He, surely he has to have had some sort of consequences for the Bronco chase, because you know, like that would you know, like a video, like because clearly that was not the same crime. You right. know what I mean? And it's not the same day or whatever. Like it, it surely was its own thing. So surely there was some sort of, at the very least, like a fine, like a heavy fine and stuff like that for, right. you know, like, I don't know if that's necessarily a felony, but that's probably at least, a, I mean, it's got to be a misdemeanor, you know, I mean, right. again, like there's only two options, I guess. But like my point though is that like yeah. surely there's some sort of crime done there. Um, but like, right. I think that in this regard, like there are biases and stuff like that. And like, it sucks. Like, and I, I, this is such a hard thing to say about the, what you had said about letting someone who's done something terrible go free versus the other way around. I think part of it is that like, there will probably, and hopefully always be some other chance to get the person who did something wrong. But the fact that people sometimes go to jail for 10, 15, 20 years for something that they didn't do. And then their whole life is ruined. Yep. You know, like that. I think that that's the thing is that like, I would rather have fewer people have their lives ruined by this broken system and know that like justice can and will be served when we, when we can. Right. Somehow there will be comeuppance. Absolutely. Yep. Um, Um, For those other people. Absolutely. Um, well, I have two quotes from this scene, and then we and then we need to to, to move swiftly on. Um, yes, Thompson says basically like, "Oh uh, yeah, we're we're um you know, our you know this precinct or this uh this station's good, but our files are a wreck." And Sue says like, "That hurts. My filing's impeccable," which I think is just a funny thing. Like, all right, your your pr- yes, pride intact. And then uh, then Thompson is talking to Jarvis and says. A lot of stuff gets stolen from Howard Stark. Cars, bombs, death rays. 
And Jarvis says, actually, the death ray is accounted for. It's in Nevada, I believe, which is, it's a, that's very funny to, to be um, sort of quippy. It's a good joke. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a good joke. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. All right. So next, Peggy is getting ready to go out, but Angie comes by to vent. So Peggy blows her off by pretending to be going to bed. Angie recognizes the brush off and goes to leave. They both go out into the hallway to find that Ms. Fry is bringing the tenant taking over Molly's room up to her room. There's an ellipsis between Molly's room and up to her room because that's where I realized that that sentence, I was not sticking the landing and I just needed to make sure I didn't break my ankle. And you still didn't, (laughs) so it's okay. For sure. The new tenant's (laughs) name is Dottie Underwood. And here's Mm. here's some bean spillage and... She's the woman that Howard was talking about his vault to at the end of 1945. Okay, so what do we think of this scene where we see sort of a person from the recent past being introduced as sort of this new roommate sort of deal? What, like, what's going on here? Uh, I think it's very fun because, like, you know, you're, you know, you remember her from, you know, snogging with uh, Howard yeah. Stark who is also now on the lamb and like, right. Interesting that like now she is right uh, here, magically taking this spot that was formerly Molly's room. Um, and uh, I mean, as always, she just seems like she's, you know, this lovely yeah. lady, but like she was recently with Stark and talking about his vault of toys, you know? So it's like yeah. kind of interesting to see, you know, all of the uh, these two sides of the same story kind of meeting literally kind of offhand in the hallway. Exactly. Because yeah, like, like also like the other thing is like, oh, go ahead. Oh, um, there's a thing that I can't remember. I mean, it's it kind of the sting. There's also that movie um, Lucky Number Slevin, I think was the name of the mm-hmm. movie. Where it's basically like mm-hmm. all the assassins are trying to kill, or I guess John Wick is also a, a thing where it's like her moving in next door. It's like all the thieves are moving in on on Peggy Carter. Like you know, right. she stole the stuff. We can steal it back from her because she's just a you know telephone operator sort of deal. Um, I will say that uh, Bridget Regan, the actress, did model Dottie Underwood's wide-eyed um, personality on Judy Garland as Dorothy in Winter of Oz. Which is possibly why her name is Dorothy Underwood, um, but she goes by Dottie. Mm. So, um, and then of course Angie calls her Dot because right. Angie is mad. which also though makes sense, but for other reasons that we'll talk about later. Yeah, exactly. Um, she's not in Kansas anymore. It's because they they spend time in the red room watching movies. Oh yeah 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 and, yeah and yeah, like yeah. learning their accents and stuff. So she would have watched. And also, she's there and to kill like, witches. Yeah. Um, that's like a, yeah. Her sister was a witch. All right. So. Um, she came down <laughs> in a bubble, dog. <laughs> All right. Next scene. Where's Peggy going? Well, Peggy shows up at Jarvis's place dressed for vault examination. I capitalized those two words because I'm uh, cute. She gives Jarvis the opportunity to explain the treason thing, but he declines. As they lower themselves by rope into the sewer via the hole in the vault floor, Peggy repeatedly says that she doesn't need to know about the treason in order to get some details about the treason. But Jarvis doesn't bite. 
He tells her that the police believe that the thief left the sewer by means of a manhole five blocks down, but Peggy believes that they wouldn't have done that with all the stolen, you know, the stolen stuff weighing them down. She notices that the water is running away from the vault hole, and when Jarvis confirms it was raining hard the night of the theft, she realizes that Lee Brannis could have put the items in a boat and been carried far down the sewer with little to no effort. As they follow the path of the water, Peggy finally caves and tells him she needs to know about the treason in charge. Jarvis tells Peggy about his time in Budapest, that is a Marvel location, sort of like Braxton, Oklahoma. Yep. Um, where he met oh, in Tonesburg, Norway, um, where he met Anna, who it turns out is Jewish. Jarvis forged his commanding officer's signature on papers that would have let her escape to America. Howard got them out of most of the pickle using his influence. They hear a ship's horn and press on, finding a water vent that exits on the water. She looks at a nearby ship and sees the symbol she was trying to decipher when Jimmy dropped by. Um, they get the car and drive over to where the ship is docked. Meanwhile, Thompson leaves Sousa and Krasminski on the night shift with the photos that Thompson con- Thompson's contact identified as Demidov. This is all, this is, some of this is happening in a weird order. I put sort of scenes together. Um, just so if, if you're watching right. and you're like, wait a minute, don't worry. But that happened, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, um, Peggy and Jarvis board the ship, not noticing a man in a hat watching them. They descend into the ship and find Howard's bad babies. Jarvis realizes that they can't alert the cops to the location of the stolen items because it won't clear Stark's name. It'll only drag Carter's name through the mud. Peggy tells Jarvis to call it in, but make sure Sousa gets the call because she couldn't stand Krasminski getting the credit. She says, I hope someone fucking kills him. Jarvis calls Sousa and uses a very bad accent to tell him about the location of the stolen items. Sousa and Krasminski head over to the docks to check the tip out. Peggy waits for Jarvis to come back from the phone call. While she's waiting, she's attacked by a guy who knew Brannis. It looks like he's going to kill her, but then Jarvis shows up and takes a bunch of the hits. The guy looks like he's going to kill Jarvis, but Peggy uses one of Stark's devices, the Constrictor, to disarm him. <laughs> it breaks his arm. <laughs> long enough to knock him out with a <laughs> pipe. Uh, Peggy and Jarvis get away moments before Sousa and Krasminski arrive. So, a couple of things. Um, Peggy says that New York City was one of the last places to use their sewers to run off stormwater. And I was like, what does that mean? So I found this on Practical Engineering, which is a blog. Uh, This is a post from November 2nd, 2020. It says, cities that use sewers to run off stormwater. At this point, oh, sorry, that was my my note to myself, what to research. At this point, the water needs a dedicated system to carry it away. In the past, it was common to simply put all of the runoff from the streets directly into the sewage system. It's a well-developed network of pipes flowing by gravity out of the city. Why not use it for the stormwater too? Well, actually, there's a really good reason not to do that. At the end of each sanitary sewer system is a wastewater treatment plant that was almost certainly not designed to process a massive influx of combined sewage and stormwater runoff at the whims of Mother, Mother Nature. In worst cases, in the worst cases, these plants have to release untreated wastewater directly into waterways when it is too much to be stored or processed. That's why most cities now use munip- municipal separate storm sewer systems, usually abbreviated as MS4s, because I apparently get to uh, abbreviate that kind of stuff because that's exactly what I would call it too. Um, these are networks of ditches, curbs, gutters, sewer pipes, and outfalls solely dedicated to moving runoff from everywhere in the city to the natural waterways that eventually carry it away. In our area, there's little things that like, this goes directly to the Potomac River or the Chesapeake Bay. Right. 
chill with the dumping your toxic waste down this one. Um, dump it down your toilet like a human being. Um, shitter's full. <laughs> shitter's full. Honey, have you checked our shitter? These inlets aren't just places for clowns to hang out, this blog wrote, and I love them for it. Uh, they usually represent a direct path between the street and the nearest creek or river. Just to be clear, there's not usually any type of treatment happening along the way. These sewers are not for waste. Whatever you put into the storm sewer system goes directly into a waterway. So please don't dump stuff in there, period. So yep. that's um, what they meant by that. But New York wasn't at that place yet. Also, if you go to a wastewater treatment plant, it is both is equal parts disgusting and fascinating. So please go visit one today. Um, second... Uh, it says Peggy spent a week in the sewers in the summer of 1942. MCU Wiki has her in the sewers in on January 5th, so that's not right. Um, I do have an event in 1942 on June 12th that says Nazi saboteurs landed in Amagansett, New York, eventually leading the United States Coast Guard and FBI to investigate and arrest the Nazi spies. So my headcanon, and I'd like to present it for official timeline scavengers headcanon, is that Peggy was in the sewers investigating that in June of 1942 makes sense for what she says it being summer and not uh, January. Um, and then, but I, I, I do want to get to a discussion cause there's a lot of stuff to discuss in this one, but according to James Darcy, who plays Jarvis, um, the scene in which Jarvis disguises his voice by speaking with an American accent was shot five different ways ranging from a good American accent to a really bad one. That's funny. So I like, I like that to, yeah. to find like the, the per like it's a little bit like um, Goldilocks of like being yeah. like, you have to have the worst, then you have yeah. to have the best and then you have to have something right in the middle. But I also like the idea of going, but the, the, the middle ground is not maybe the worst one, but like close to it, you know? Yeah. I like to yeah. think they use cuts from all of them to make it sound the worst. Like he's fading right, in and out of it's it. it's like, it, I mean, right. I mean, well, actually, you know, that kind of might be what it is in a way, at least because like, remember when he hangs up, we talked about this earlier, yeah. when, and the way he goes, have a lovely day. Like, it's like, he's like panicking. Yeah. So he starts yeah. to drop the facade. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Um, so, yeah. yeah. I mean, like there's a whole bunch of stuff here. Um, Jarvis is. There is. Treason is not um, necessarily a bad thing. Um no. Anything, I mean, like, we also don't need to discuss maybe this if you, if there's nothing that you wanted to, to get to. We have a couple more things to, to no, one more scene to, right, to talk about. And we've got some. Yeah. And we're running long already. Yeah. For, and no, I, I, knew I, I this don't one have was much to. Okay. Right. And oh, I don't have uh, much to say. I mean, honestly, it's just simply that, like, I feel like there's a lot of stories like this during yeah. that time period. Yeah. And uh, this is, again, one of those situations where, like, I I never think there's a good reason to do like crime in terms of like something that is actually harmful. Sure. But there are things that happen where people are charged with crimes that really aren't crimes. I think, you know, like right. I, I can't imagine like to me, it's like if someone's life is in danger, you know what I mean? I can't imagine charging someone for faking my signature to right. save someone else's life. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like to me, like that's, that's kind of criminal. Like that's, that's not standing up for what's right. And right. like, I feel like that kind of thing is like, you know, come on, like who, like, like why do you think it's so important to then punish this guy for that? You I know? Mean, and I, I, also I, that person, you know what I mean? Right. I mean, the, the situation where Anna is a spy 
um, sure. is what you're preventing. But like, I don't know. It's a, it's again, a tricky, like I get why the rules are there, but I also feel right. like there should be ways that we can be uh, merciful and, and actually protect people. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I mean, yeah. like in general, I mean, like, again, Sure, I understand the the issues and concerns they have there, but like I feel like there's ways to vet that and figure that out. Um, I mean, it's the same thing. Like you know, today yeah. of like, if there's a starving family, and someone right. is like desperate enough because they know people are in peril to steal a loaf of bread that costs two dollars, yeah. you know, yeah. and then like charging these people, it's like, okay, it really sucks that you did this, and like whatever. But I mean, like just someone else just dropped $2 on the counter for it. I mean, and also right. again, I want to point out that like so many of these companies have an unbelievable amount of insurance and also like they have a certain amount of like loss that they expect, you right. know, that I think that if someone is stealing like a necessity, like baby formula, yeah, a loaf of bread or whatever to keep people alive. I think that's the kind of thing that like a good Samaritan idea of like, you know what? I'm going to turn and look the other way. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know. It's just, it's things like that. But anyway. Yeah. A little bit of a bleeding um, do, heart in, in that kind of regard. Do we want to do Marvelous now or after everything? After everything. Okay. All right. Finally, what happens? Sousa and Krasminski discover the man in the hold and also the stolen objects. Soon, Thompson, Dooley, and many more SSR agents are processing the crime scene. Krasminski is going to drive Zandau, which is the name of the guy, Jerome Zandau, back to the station. Zandau tells him about the woman he fought, and Krasminski realizes that it was Carter. As he begins to put it together, they are rear-ended at a railroad crossing. They are rear-ended at a railroad crossing. Krasminski goes to confront the other driver, but he is shot and killed. Then Zandau is killed, even as he says that he didn't tell anyone anything. Um... And the last fact I have uh, before we discuss this and uh, do an Avengers Ensemble and Marvelous and all this stuff, uh, Jerome Zandau is named after the character, uh, a circus strongman who appeared in Captain America Comics number five in 1941, which is a fun shout oh, cool. out. Yeah. Um, so Chris Minsky, um, they got rid of him. I mean, like my spelling... Um, Pride is happy that I don't have to write much about him anymore because I cannot spell Krasminski to save my life. But nope. it, it's a weird choice to kill the jerk. And well, I, he's that's also not the last time jerk. I want to say <laughs> that. Um. <laughs> no, I, I think it's because of some of the other stuff that's coming up, right? Yeah. Like we've talked about this before, like to kind of reveal the a little bit of the cards on the table the mask is going to have to come down soon. And I think that when the mask comes down, there's no reason to keep the jerk around anymore because that's not an obstacle that she really needs to have anymore. Right. right? But also it's a matter of someone has to bite the bullet, ha, here in this situation because you have to have that moment of like her secrets are starting to catch up and everything like that. You know what I mean? Like the fact that someone knows something, like those sorts of things have to catch up to the team. Yeah. And the pressure on the team has to increase. Yeah. And like, you can't kill Sousa 
mm-hmm. many reasons. Yeah. Uh, and you can't kill Thompson because Thompson, unfortunately, is the golden boy. And, like, he is the closest right. to, like, I feel like, really, your only two options in this part of the story is Krasminski and Thompson. And I think that Krasminski, I mean, you could have, like, a little bit of a redemption arc for him, I'm sure. But I don't yeah. think that he has... His character doesn't have the 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 uh, the room, I think, for as mm-hmm. much of growth as Thompson does. Um, yeah, and uh, again, to also lead more mysteries and things, I like who does the hit and everything like that. Right, you really right. have to lean into all these things. Like all, like anytime you feel like someone starts to figure something out, you have to add a monkey wrench. You know. Uh, so it, it while it does kind of suck to kill off Krasminski, I also think that Krasminski yeah. was a real like B plot character. Yeah, you know maybe even C plot to some extent. Like he's not really necessary anymore. You know, and I'm I think there's something there, and we're gonna see it in the you know the next day too. Right, where it's like he's still a a, a person. Like he was an asshole. Oh no, but for like, sure. I. Like I'm, and to and, be clear on that, like, oh yeah, this is I not me saying no. We yeah. should kill off every character that's like that, but like no, no, yeah. Absolutely. If you're telling a story and you need to have a moment of like shock and awe and stuff like that, I think that it serves a story better when it is someone who there's no no more room for them, right? For for their growth necessarily, right? Um, yeah, and you have because you need to keep those seuses and stuff like that for all sorts of other plot lines. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's get to Avengers Ensemble real quick. Um, Yep. Let's blast through that. Avengers Ensemble. All right. So Molly Bowen is played by a woman named Laura Coover. She's been in a bunch of stuff, but the really only comic book thing that I saw was uh, she was in one episode of Lucifer. Um, Agent Butch Wallace, which is one of the people that uh, Krasinski tries to get to take his uh, shift for him. It's played by a guy named Patrick Robert Smith. Uh, he was in one episode of Wisdom of the Crowd, one episode of Bones, one episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, one episode of Rest of Development, one episode of Dexter, one episode of Castle, one episode of Nor- No Ordinary Family, one episode of Medium, and Major League Two, uh, which is another Charlie Sheen movie from the 90s, but not the same one as the other guy. Um, and then finally, Jerome Zandow is played by a guy named Rob Mars. Uh, he was in 10 episodes of The Purge television show, one episode of Grimm, one episode of Teen Wolf. He was an orderly in Thor, so we'll look out for him in uh, the hospital mm. in Thor, and then uh, one episode of 24. Um, and that is it for Avengers Ensemble, which leaves us with one segment left, and it is Mmm Marvelicious. Okay, so um this is kind of a blinking you'll miss it. No, it's not a crossover. I'm using it in lowercase blinking you'll miss it. Um Krasminski and Sousa have gotten sandwiches. Uh, for the night shift. Right, during the little night shift. Yeah. yeah. Um, I will say that while I was eating my sandwich, I did consider the idea that Krasminski didn't actually get to eat his sandwich. <laughs> so the true marvelous is to get the sandwich and then throw it away. But we didn't do it. We, didn't, we don't play the battle or rules. Or leave it on a desk. Rebels. Yeah, exactly. Um, I did, I did show someone up. else to pick up later and go, wow. Exactly. Yeah. I did uh, show up 20 minutes late to get my sandwich, and I think that is the equivalent of leaving it on the desk for a little bit. <laughs> sure, um, yeah. So, um, I got a Sheets sandwich. Um, 
-hmm. white bread, toasted, Italian meats, lettuce, olive and vinegar, oil and vinegar, and Italian dressing. Um, And I did get the whole thing toasted, but again, it was lukewarm when I got it and the liquids that soaked through the bread. Still delicious. I cut it in half. It was uh, excellent. I tried to see like what I could see of the sandwich. I don't think it was toasted white bread. I'm sure it was some sort of pastrami on, on not, it wasn't rye, but like it was like, you know, I felt good about it and I enjoyed what I got. Um, still for me, all of the marvelouses are uh, excellent and um, unflawed. Oh, 100%. I went to one of my favorite sandwich places uh, right up the road from me called the Milk Bar, um, which uh, is called that because they have milkshakes, um, uh-huh. which is a fascinating like thing. I get. I I don't know if they've always been sandwiches primarily and or what, but like they've got milkshakes. They're pretty good, uh, but the sandwiches are amazing. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, I I got you know um, I got an Italian cold cut like styled. Uh, it's not quite that because like they their their stuff's like I don't want to call it fancy because I don't think that's the word for mm-hmm. it. But like they kind of go for like slightly different stuff. Like my favorite sandwich there is the Thai chili lamb. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, it is so good. I mean, it is genuinely one of the best sandwiches I've had in my life. Um, but you know, I got that, and I will say that if I was in Maryland. I'm just going to give a quick little teaser here. I would have gone to a place called Lucero's, uh, which is right around the corner from my old high school. Uh, when I worked at Music and Arts, which was like a couple doors down from that spot, it was like a frequent spot for everyone who worked there, mostly because for a long time that was one of the only places that was actually fully nearby. Right. But they had a uh, a hot Italian cold cut, mm-hmm. um, which is weird to call it a cold cut, but like, or sure. I, I don't remember what they call it. I think they used to call it like a, like a grilled Italian cut or something like that. Yeah, I can't quite remember the words, but like you would do that and then they would panini press it and get it mm-hmm. like really hot. The cheese was melty as hell. Because uh, I feel like a cold cut is usually cold meats and cheese. This was grilled and the... like everything and it was... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. You think I think what? the cold cut refers to the kind of meat and not how it's served. No, I understand, but I'm saying I'm saying cold cuts to me are usually not grilled because there's two versions of that sandwich. Like, okay, sorry. Mm-hmm. But what I mean by this is you can get an you can get an Italian cold cut and get like grilled where it's like the bread gets a little toasty. But I'm talking like this is right. like a hot panini press type thing where it's like melty right. and gooey. And I feel like Italian cold cuts are not usually that. Um, right. They're usually a colder, uh, you know, like almost like a Subway sub kind of like thing. Like you're just kind of quickly made and, you know, thrown out the door. Yeah. Um, but anyway. Uh, I, uh, oh, sorry. My, and also there, when you get it there, they had uh, hots and grilled onions. And oof, that was good. Sorry, go ahead. In high school, there was a place called Jimmy G's, which was not near our high school, but kind of near our high school. And we would mm-hmm. cut class uh, to go get sandwiches there um, during drama because our drama teacher would give us money to get her one too. Um, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's basically like being in the mafia in high school um oh for sure yeah and and next time you're down in the because i know you sometimes go down to like the norfolk like the tidewater area right not so much anymore occasionally my family moved uh, up back up to but okay yeah oh they did oh, okay my bad i thought they were still down there i'm sorry oh um, no, but, 
But if you, if if you ever go back down there, Zero's subs, they also yep. have some like Abs- some grill, yeah, good stuff. Kristen and my first date, sort of, was at a Zero subs, which was right by our, our house. Was it really? Oh yeah. wow, cool. I mean, it, it wasn't awesome. a date; it was like friends hanging out. But like, right, you know, right. Um. Also, Firehouse, I really enjoy their subs. Uh, there's one in Frederick sure, that I really yeah. like. And uh, the guy, Jimmy G's, uh, Jimmy G's closed and is under different ownership now because uh, I heard a rumor that he went to jail for gambling. So, um, sp- If you've got a name like Jimmy G's, yeah. of course you spent, you, hey, it's, it's like, uh, of course I didn't. It's called gambling for a reason or whatever <laughs> the Sousa said. Am I right? Exactly. Hey, yo, here's a coca. <laughs> Anyways, that that's all I had. Uh, good luck editing that, Colin. Um, yep, it's gonna if, be a lot. If you want to take it, it's all. It's it feels like it should be two and a half hours long. Anyways, if you want to take us out, it should. Um, yes. Do uh some. Let's raid the vault. vault rating, yeah. Raiders of the Lost Vault. Here we go. So let's do just a quick one, uh, just to kind of get us out of the show. If you want to follow the show, follow us on Twitter at Timeline Scav. If you want to follow the network that we're a part of, follow Scavengers Net. If you want to follow me, you can follow me at Colin M. Parker. If you want to follow James, you can follow James at Unabashed James. And if you want to follow the guy who made the music that you heard at the beginning and the end of this show, you can follow Nick Bramald, which is at NBA. Nope. At N. <laughs> <laughs> at N-B-R-A-M-A-L-D and nickbramaldcomposer.co.uk That is going to do it for us on this episode of Timeline Scavengers. As always, I'm Colin Parker. I'm James Anderson. Excelsior! Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content.